It'll be a little while before I can tell how much of the end of this broadcast was cut off, the previous one, about prayers for the departed. And so I'm going to take that up once I can watch the video, once it's finished publishing. And uh, then I can label it and I can also carry on from where we were cut off. So what I want to talk about right now is some of the superstitions about the prayers for the departed. Uh, you know, when we pray for the departed in church and we have a memorial service, as I was saying about stepping away from grief rituals, the whole congregation is there together with us. And they're making this journey through grief together with us, supporting us in prayer and encouraging us through their prayers and their love so that we will come to the point where our grief becomes a memory a loving memory of the person who's departed, but we also can get on with our lives while still maintaining this loving memory of the of the departed person. And we express that loving memory by lighting candles for them and by having a memorial service periodic periodically for them. And in that way we express this this undying and continuing love, really. Among the superstitions about prayers for the dead, as we know, they're developed in the West. Uh, actually, Augustine of Hippo gave the teaching about purgatory. Now, essentially, what purgatory teaches, although it's not expressed this way, is that the sacrifice of Christ is really insufficient for our salvation. We nevertheless have to propitiate or pay off our debts ourselves by suffering in something called purgatory after our death. Purgatory is a place where uh, a person is tormented for specific sins that they committed in this life, and particularly ones that they failed to mention to a priest in the confessional booth. And uh, consequently, uh, we're not, we can't be forgiven, you see, because we have to actually pay through our own suffering, because somehow Christ's suffering wasn't quite enough for it, to cover it all. And later on, of course, people would be told, simple peasant people, um, believing people, well, your loved one is trapped in purgatory being tortured, but for a certain amount of money, we can pray and get them out of this torment quicker, a little bit quicker. And uh, so it became quite a good fundraiser after a while. In the East, there was a, a Gnostic doctrine that through folk religion crept into the Orthodox Church. And it's very similar, really. It's called the mitastro, or telonia, or aerial toll houses. Now, the aerial toll house teaching, in, in a way, also teaches us that Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient, that we still have to face some kind of particular torments for various sins. And contrary to the church's prayer, we're told that the demons can catch us if there's any sin that we committed and did not confess to a priest, whether we, maybe we were totally ignorant that it was a sin, maybe we completely forgot about it, but the fact that we didn't say it to a priest in confession means that we're not forgiven, and therefore the demons can snatch us and drag our souls screaming to hell. Um, well, we already know what's wrong with such a teaching. First of all, God forbid, demons should be allowed to judge the souls of human beings. Uh, and secondly, why would God re reward the demons for their wickedness and evil by allowing them to 
spend all eternity tormenting mankind, which is what they really enjoy doing most. So they get rewarded for their evil, but we get punished for ours. Uh, and so there, there are a number of things wrong with it. For one thing, we're told in several prayers of the church, the great healing service, the prayer at the end of confession, that we're forgiven for sins, whether known or unknown, in word or in deed, whether in knowledge or in ignorance. So you see, there's no basis for this Tollhouse myth at all. Uh, and the other idea is that we can pray somebody out of hell in some way, um, atone for their sins through our prayers, perhaps twist God's arm and convince him to become merciful because he's not quite so merciful as we are, all kinds of things. There's also a peculiar story from Egypt, which is really taken almost directly from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Uh, and it, it, the story goes like this. St. Macarius the Great was strolling along uh, a road in the desert one day, and an angel happened to be strolling along in the same direction, so they start chatting together. And Macarius, for some reason, doesn't know the meaning of the third, ninth, and fortieth day services. So he asked the angel, uh, look, uh, you know, I, maybe I'm a priest, and maybe I've been a priest low these many years, but I don't have a clue what the third, ninth, and fortieth day services are all about. Can you fill me in? So the angel tells him that, for three days the soul wanders around and hovers around the body and wanders in those places where it loved to be when it was still in this life. And so we have prayers on the third day because on the third day it stopped wandering around these places. On the ninth day we say the prayer because on the ninth day the soul is taken to heaven to see God face to face and worship his, at his throne and see the heavenly kingdom. Then on the fortieth day, the soul is taken down to hell to see the torments of the damned. If it happens to be one of the damned, it's left there. Otherwise, perhaps it's taken back. Uh, what can you really imagine? You're taken to the heavenly kingdom and see the face of God and worship at his throne. And you spend several days doing this. And then you're whisked off to hell to see the torments of the damned. So you have the, 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 these prayers for them. Well, this is... Really, what happens is that um, in the Egyptian system, the soul would hover around the body until the internal organs were taken out and placed in the canopic jars. And uh, for an ordinary nobleman or somebody, it might take 40 days for the, um, the embalming and preparing of the mummy to be completed. I think it was, took 70 days for a pharaoh or something. So there was a memorial day at the end of the... Um, finish of the embalming and wrapping of the mummy to put in the grave. So people would mourn for 40 days. Now, actually, this is said in the Exodus too. They, they uh, mourn for Moses also after the fashion of the Egyptians, it says. Not according to God's law, not according to anything God taught or revealed or anything that's heavenly, but according to the fashion of the Egyptians. So they mourn for Joseph as well and for Jacob after the fashion of the Egyptians. And the reason the Egyptians set a 40-day mourning service was the period of time that it took for embalming. And uh, in any case, this is nothing to do with the law of God or nothing to do with Christianity or anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, every society or culture has stepping away from grief rituals. And almost every culture will have similar days. The ninth day is common all the way from India to Haiti. 
and uh, in fact, in in Haiti and Cuba and places, it's thought that the soul of a person who was murdered on the ninth day they can come back and seek vengeance. Uh, so anyway, these are fairly universal. The church gave them a specific Christian meaning and tied them together to Revelation, the third, ninth, and fortieth days, and. We discussed in our previous video what the third, ninth, and fortieth days actually were about, according to the, the Holy Fathers and the, the Didascalian of the Twelve Apostles and the writings of the great liturgist St. Simeon of Thessaloniki. But we, we need to, anybody who's heard of these or participated, or anybody who believes,